Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 from the Living Translation of the Bible tells us now your attitudes say with me my attitude sometimes when you say your you you talk about somebody else my attitude and my thoughts ought always or constantly be changing for what for the better anyone need a copy of the notes raise your hand we'll get you a copy of the notes anyone over here back over there anyone else you can study them later as well but notice what he said Paul said this that our attitudes and our thoughts ought always or constantly be what changing for the better so are they only we can answer that question or maybe your wife can well we just a quick review we said the attitude we live by determines the altitude we climb to and that our attitude can make the difference between success or failure It could hurt us or harm us. It can make us or break us. And for that reason, Paul the Apostle said our attitude needs to be changing constantly for the better. Because when we first get saved, we come out of darkness and we don't have an understanding of God's attitude toward all things. So we need to grow in that. And as we grow in that, then we'll make it possible for us to succeed in areas of our lives that otherwise we might fail. And so tonight I really want to talk about this attitude of ours and define it first and I have a definition there for you it's a firmly held point of view or way of regarding something it's a mental or emotional position or a stand that we take and I'm sure we all have our own stands positions and attitudes that we all take about things in life things we encounter now for example if you're, anyone ever asked you the question, is the glass half empty or half full? How do you answer it? Someone, if you say half empty, then you have a negative attitude. If you say it's half full, then you have a positive attitude. But the purpose of the question is to let us know that no matter what you're viewing or what the situation might be, there are different perspectives and different views based on a person's perception of things. I know you're going to find this very difficult to believe. But when I was 11 years old, I was the smallest kid on my football team. I know. Look what I've grown up into now. And I, I realize that you understand. You know, when I say the smallest, they couldn't even find me a pair of shoes because my feet were so small. But guess what? They forgot to tell me that. I didn't know I was the smallest kid on the team. I didn't know that all these others that were out there you know, were bigger than I was. I was in the same grade. I was very young. I graduated. I was 16 as a senior in high school. But I remember one day going to the first, the beginning of football. You had to go in way. Everybody had to get weighed in except me. And I didn't know why. I had no clue as to why. And the coach would say, they call me Billy. Billy, go over there. You don't have to weigh in. I'm thinking, what are these other people weighing in? How come I'm not weighing in? I couldn't even get near making weight. It's <laughs> being overweight. So. But I didn't know it then. 
I'll never forget Volney Rogers Field. It's in Mill Creek Park in Bourbon, Ohio, Yankton, Ohio area. And I walked over to, while they're getting back there, they're getting weighed in. I walked over to the sidelines and I stood there on the white line and I looked up at the field both ways. And I just said, I'm going to tear you up this year. I did. I had an attitude. I don't know where it came from. I just really loved sports, loved football in particular. And that was my attitude. I didn't know I was so small. All I knew was I ran scared. <laughs> and the problem with that was they couldn't catch me. <laughs> You've got to use what you have and be confident in what you have, right? See, the attitude you live by determines the altitude that you climb to. I made the team my first day I went out by running four touchdowns in a scrimmage and the coach couldn't believe it. I, I said, I want to be your tailback. He said, well, can you run the ball? I said, I think I can. I believe I can. Are you quick? I think I am. Puts me in a scrimmage and run these touchdowns immediately. Not realizing I'm the smallest kid out there. So it doesn't matter what others think. It matters what you think. It doesn't matter what others say you can or cannot do. It matters what you say you can or cannot do. See, our attitude will determine whether or not we are defeated or victorious in life. We've got to have the right attitude to overcome. And I'm going to talk about that in particular tonight. Whether our attitude is a defeated one or a victorious one. And so we're going to look in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. This is the story of the incident when the Israelites came out of Egypt, and they're on the way to the promised land. They get before the promised land, and notice chapter 13 and verse 1 and 2, where, we'll read it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers ye shall send a man, every one a ruler among them. Twelve leaders, twelve spies, twelve tribes of Israel to go to the promised land and spy out the land to determine whether or not it's the land that flows with milk and honey to get an idea what it's about. Now, this story reveals to us two powerful, powerful attitudes. One that's defeated and the other one that's victorious. But before we get into all the details, look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 because the same story is rehearsed right here in the book of Deuteronomy. You notice verse 1 in Numbers said that the Lord said to send spies, right? Isn't that what it said? But it wasn't the Lord that told him to send those spies. I'm going to see that here. I said unto you, this is Moses speaking to the people, you are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God had set the land before thee. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers had said unto thee, fear not. Neither be discouraged. And you came near unto me, notice, and every one of you and said, we will send men before us and they shall, sh shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. Did you get that? Moses said, let's go take the land. They said, oh, no, 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 no. 
No, we are going to go and spy out the land first before we make a decision to do that. Well, why? God already gave full detail of what the land was about. Look at Exodus 33. He already told them. And the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up thence. Thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear to, your, to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Termite, unto a land flowing with, well, oh, Termite wasn't in there, with milk and honey, flowing with what? Milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. You think God was upset with those people? Oh, he sure was. They had a defeated attitude, and he was not happy with them. But notice the two things he says. He's going to drive out the people of the land, right? And it's a land that what? Flows with milk and honey. So did God not give them in full detail a picture of the land? It flows with milk and honey, and there's a bunch of enemies in there, a bunch of people occupying the land, but I am going to drive them out for you. So I asked the question, why go search out the land? Why go spy out the land? For what reason? You see, they were full of doubt and unbelief. As a matter of fact, there was no need to, con to confirm what God had already said. All they had to do was trust Him. All they had to do was believe Him. But you see, they didn't. Why? Because our attitude comes from our core being. It flows up out of our souls. It's the way a person's constructed, the way they're built. And you know what? To change that, you need the power of God. To change that, you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And you've got to make a decision. I am no longer going to view life through eyes of defeat. I'm going to change my perspective. I'm going to change my attitude based on the authority of God's Word. Now, here they are. And God basically says, okay, you want to go spy out the land? Go spy out the land. But let's back it up. When they wanted a king, God said, that's not my will for you. But they begged him and begged him and begged him to have a king, right? So what did he say? You want a king? Have a king. And you know what? Suffer the consequences of having your king. And did they not? They sure did. Now he said, you want to go spout the land? Go ahead. But you know what? Let's be thorough about it. You take a leader from every tribe so that the whole nation is represented and go spy out the land for 40 days. A time of testing. And then let's see what you do, what you bring back. And so they go and do it. So he gave them liberty to do it, but it was not his will. It represents doubt, fear, unbelief. It did nothing but give place for them to paint a picture of despair. Can you see that? They should have never gone to the land to see the land. So they just marched up and took it. But no. Look at uh, Numbers uh, chapter 13 and verse 27 now. Here, the ten spies, the twelve spies come back. They told him, he said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us. And notice this, surely, absolutely, positively, unequivocally, it flows with what? 
milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Oh my goodness, you mean God told the truth? He actually didn't lie? He said it flows with milk and honey? Did he not tell you that before you went out to spy out the land? Can you see why God would be offended? If I told you that bathroom does, door doesn't work right, you going to believe me? Why would I lie to you? I'm not going to lie to you about that. Actually saying it for your own protection. To save embarrassment. Here God says, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. But they got to get a whole team together. They got to get all the board members together. They got to get them in a group. And then they got to mount them up together. And they got to go to the promised land. And they got to go there for 40 days to determine whether or not God told the truth. Well, do you think if God told the truth, first of all, with regard to the milk and honey, that he might have told the truth about driving out the inhabitants of the land? Look at Exodus 23 and 23. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. So what did God say he was going to do? Did he tell them they would be there? Yes. Did he say it's a land that flows of milk and honey? Yes. But because they had a defeated attitude, they couldn't see it. They got to prove it for themselves. So they come back and they say, yes, it's a land that flows of milk and honey. God did not lie to us. He told the truth. Okay. Now, if they knew that God told the truth then, why would they doubt that he would help them? Look at the numbers 13, 28, and 29 now. Nevertheless, oh, stop right there. Despite the fact. That's what it means. Nevertheless, what a horrible, horrible word. Circle that word. Highlight that word. Use your marker. Nevertheless. Here's what they're saying. Yes, God, you told the truth. Yes, Lord, it's a land that flows of milk and honey. It's just as you said it would be. But in spite of that, and I know you said that you would also drive out the inhabitants of the land and you would cut off all the ites, but despite all that, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities be walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak, in other words, the giants, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Aren't you glad that these leaders gave God an education on who was there? Who were there? Wasn't that kind of them to rehearse that and let them know this? Did God not say he would drive out all those ites from among them? Absolutely. Why are you sending spies out to spy out the land? And then if you saw it confirmed by the 12 spies that spot out the land that it flows with milk and honey, why would you doubt part two of what God said? Look in your notes there. I just wrote out some of the things. Despite all that, despite God's promises, what did they say? The people are strong. 
Despite God's promises, the cities are walled. Despite God's promises, the giants are there and they're huge and they're big and they're strong and they're terrible to look at. And despite God's promise, what? The land is completely occupied. In other words, everywhere they went, they saw no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy. The, the, all the property, all the land that was there was already distributed to all those people that were there. So in other words, they came back with this report of unbelief, an evil report that says, we can't do it. Can't do it. Sometimes you feel like that. You see why it's important to know what God said? Because if we don't know what God said, you have no foundational leg to stand on. But when you know God says that it's a land that flows with milk and honey, and it's a land that's occupied by all these ice, but don't be afraid of them. I will cut them all off. Don't be concerned about that. Look at the next verse. Numbers 13.30. Here we have Caleb. I just love Caleb. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us, now he was one of the 12 spies, let us go up at once. In other words, don't delay and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. Not just able, but well able to overcome it. Can you see the two different attitudes that exist among the 10 spies and the two spies? We can't do it because of all these reasons. But Caleb says what they all should have said. You know what they should have said to their leaders? All the different tribes of Israel, what they should have said? Okay, I understand you brought back your report and you say there's giants in the land. But you know what? Did God not say to us, and listen to me carefully because this is so, so important. Did not God say to us, he would drive them out, that they would be that he would drive them out for us? And when he said that, you ready for it? He was visible among us when he said it. In a cloud by day, in a fire by night, we could look over to the corner and say, there's God. And this God that's in the corner says to you, don't be afraid of your enemy. I will drive it out. I will cut it off. I am the Lord God. So may I ask you the question? Would it matter what enemy was in the land? who they were, how tall they were, how strong they are, how walled the city. Does any of that even matter? Does it come into play here at all? When the God who's in the cloud and the fire, who brought you out of Egypt, who protected you from the Egyptians, who brought you across the Red Sea, and you walked on dry ground, who brought down manna from heaven, 4,500 tons every day, who brought water out of a rock, 11 million gallons that you saw, and he's right there, he's shading you from the sun, he's, he's warming you at night, you got your own air conditioning and heating system with the Lord your God who's visible among you. And he says, don't fear them. I will take care of them for you. And you get a committee together to go. You get a committee to go see whether or not God meant what he said. Is that not offensive to God? Is that like slapping him across the face and just saying, I don't know if I can believe you. He was visible among them. It wouldn't matter who they were. He said, I will get you through. I will cut them off. But no, let's read, let's read their, their attitudes. Look at, matter of fact, before that, in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, let's read that first, because this is the attitude of Caleb. God forbid, let God be true, but every man a liar, 
as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when you're judged. And so Caleb said, we're well able to take the land because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our fathers, is the God who defends us and fights for us, who's already told us that he will take us in and cut them all off. So let us go up once and take the land. Let's read on now and see what these others said. Look at verse 31 of chapter 13. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come out of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. You see why I'm saying that God didn't want them to go spy out the land? Because what did that do? It made them fearful. If they just would have sat back and just said, let's just go take the land without the 40 days of meditating on what's in the land. Mm, the scenario would have changed. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's go back there. Despite the facts that God made his promises, they still wouldn't believe. Here in this version of it, notwithstanding you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents. A defeated attitude. Murmuring, complaining, and said, because the Lord hated us. Oh, they're getting in deeper now. Deeper. Because the Lord hated us. He brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. According to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee, as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out. Oh, don't miss this. You would not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in in fire by night to show you by what way you should go and in a cloud by day. Who spied out the land for them? Oh, I guess that wasn't enough, was it? It wasn't good enough that God spied out the land for them. They had to go do it on their own. And when they did, it produced within them a worse defeated attitude that they had. Because if you remember these murmurers and complainers, what did they do? came out of Egypt, would God we go back to Egypt, go a little bit further, would God we go back there, now we're going to, we got the Red Sea here, we got, all they wanted to do was to go back, to go back, they were defeated, it was their core personality, it was the core of their disposition, it was the core of their entire char character on the inside, you see, it has to be dealt with in the power of God, I can't think like that, we can't function that way, because a defeated attitude will do nothing but defeat us 
in every area of our lives. And even though God did what he did, they couldn't see it. In, in verse, that, verse 27 again, they thought God hated them. He hates us. He brought us because he hates us. Could anything be further from the truth? He said, I brought you out because I love you. And I love you. Not because you were greater in number than all the people. But because I loved you. And I would honor the covenant of your fathers. That's why I brought you out. To show you. I would carry you like a father carries his son. Can you imagine that kind of intimacy that God said he wanted to have with them? And he wants the same intimacy with every single one of us. He wants to carry us like a father would carry his son. To provide for us like a father would carry his, provide for his son. To help us like any father would help his son. But yet, no, you wouldn't believe me. God introduced his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. It doesn't get richer than that. It doesn't get better than that. Okay, look at the next verse. Uh, those verses, you don't have to read them. But you remember what he said. You ready for it? My God will fight for me. God will fight for us. A defeated attitude says what they said. We're no match for them. They're too big for us. The walled cities are too great for us. We can't do it. But an attitude of victory a victorious attitude says those walls may be big those giants may be huge the people might be strong and the city walls are so tall let them reach heaven I know the one that made heaven I know the one that made the earth and sea and all that in them is and he said I will fight for you and if he's fighting for me who can come against me if God's on my side and he's with me for me and in me who can come against me who can defeat us nobody can the positive attitude, a faith attitude, an attitude of victory says, my God is on my side and no one is greater than him. And so as far as I am concerned, no matter what this situation is, remember, we're not back there in, 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 in those days. We're living here today right now. And your insurmountable mountain situation problem may not be exactly what they were going through, but whatever it is, I believe that God is speaking to our hearts and saying, how are you going to look at that particular situation? What is your perception, uh, your perspective? Is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? Are you going to come across with a defeated attitude by saying, there's no way I'm going to overcome this? Or are you going to say along with the word of Almighty God, and not insult your father, but my God is bigger than the problem. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to rise up and be victorious in the name of Jesus, knowing he always causes me to triumph. That's the decision that we have to make. And the thing is, we've got to do it by establishing a foundation of faith, going to the word of God and finding out what God says. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It tells us after you get saved, there's two things that are essential that we do. Number one, present our body to God. Verse one says, as a living sacrifice. Number two, be renewed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind needs repaired. It needs restored. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This is something that we do. My mind doesn't think the way God wants it to think. Because God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. Right? And so we've got to adjust our way of thinking to God's way of thinking. Think like he wants us to think. Remember we talked about last Sunday, fix, filter, and feed. Fix your mind on things above, not on a problem. If they would have fixed their mind on their God, and rather than the giants in the land, rather than all the cities that were walled, if they would have fixed their thoughts on God said it, and if God said it, that's it. He's going to do it. 
I trust him. I believe in him. The fear would not have come. The doubt would not have come. The unbelief would not have come. And they would have gone to their promised land. It was delayed 40 years because they refused to look at it from God's perspective. And they had a defeated attitude. And so we can't have that defeated attitude and expect success or victory. It's important that what we do is we fix our mind on things above. Fix our mind on what God's word says. And then filter out anything, whatever comes against our thinking, that really refutes what the word of God says. Remember God's word says, let the weak say what? I am strong. So rather than going around just saying, I'm so weak, I'm so weak, I'm so weak, I'm so weak. We should be going around saying, I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But what if I'm weak, you say? Let the weak say what? I am strong. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. A victorious attitude says that. A defeated attitude says, I'm so weak, I'm not going to be able to make it. But God's word says, no, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so start agreeing with what God said. And he said it so that we may boldly echo what he says, proclaim it and declare it. It'll make all the difference in our lives. So, do we take responsibility for the way we think, for our own personal attitude? Is my attitude changing for the better, or is it not? Am I constantly working on my attitude and saying, I should have an attitude of faith, an attitude of love, an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of humility? Because God will raise us up if we have an attitude of humility. An attitude of pride will bring you down low. We know the scripture teaches us that. But do we face insurmountable problems and see them as obstacles? If we do, then we're going to have a defeated attitude. But if we face those same situations and we view them with this perspective, God has an opportunity to show himself strong in my life. So it's an opportunity, not an obstacle. The mountain may look like an obstacle if you have a defeated attitude. But when you look at the mountain and say that is an opportunity, then what you do is you change your whole perspective and you say, I'm going to count it all joy. This is another opportunity for me to let my God show himself strong on my behalf, defend me and fight for me and help me overcome the situation, whatever that situation might be. And so we should never get to the place where we're so down and out. We need to rise up and have a right mental attitude, a right perspective And start declaring what the word of God says about us. You know the scripture says in the book of Proverbs. That God's heart will rejoice when our lips speak the right things. He'll rejoice when we speak the right things. So we can bring down the things we want to experience in life. If we speak wrong things. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So in conclusion look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking, and here's what he says. Now thanks be unto God, which in every other opportunity. Aaron, always? But do you think he meant always? Everybody say always. Say it again, always. Always. How often does he cause us to triumph? And you're thinking, but I don't know how, I don't know when. That doesn't matter. What matters is he always causes us to triumph. What should I be saying? How should I develop my attitude? Yeah, this may be a difficult place I'm in, but say it. My God 
always causes me to triumph. If your God is causing you to triumph in Christ, who then can stop you from triumphing in Christ? Who can stop us from being victorious if God is on our side and He always causes us to triumph? Think about it. If you put a team together and you've got an opportunity to choose God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost on your team, who would you choose? LeBron James? Michael Jordan? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Who would you choose? I'm preaching better than you're shouting tonight. (laughs) Who would you choose? Who will defeat the God who said, I will fight for you? Oh, hallelujah. We can go to bed at night and saying, the doctor said this, the professional said that, my financier said this. But I know that you said you will fight for me. You will defend me. You will uphold me. You will lift me up. I will not fear for you are with me. I will not be dismayed for you are my God. Listen to what he said, the way he said it. Fear not, I am with you. The great I am is with you. Be not discouraged or dismayed. I am the great I am as our God. Yea, I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with my right hand. Have you ever seen his bicep? Have you ever seen the bicep of the Lord? With his finger he casts out devils. With his hand he creates the world. With his right arm he gives his people the victory. You know what that means? Devils are nothing. He, he, he kicks them out with a finger. A flick of the finger, he cast out. Jesus said, I cast out with the finger of God, just like that. With his hand, he creates the universe. It's the work of his mighty hand. But he says, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And the arm of the Lord has given you your salvation. Think about that. See, God wants us to develop the kind of attitude that says, no weapon formed against me can prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against me in judgment is brought down, condemned, and declared to be in the wrong. And the God that I serve is on my side, praise God. And when I pass through the fire, I will not be burned. As Shadrach, at Meshach, ask Abednego. When they were thrown to the burning fire in front of us, they were not burned, praise God. Because he, the fourth man in the burning fire in front of us, was the son of almighty God, the, the savior of the world. He says, when you're cast into the waters, you will not sink, you will not go under, you're not going to drown because I will be with you. Hallelujah. I'd rather have a, an attitude of victory than an attitude of defeat. What about you? So it's up to us to make a decision. Are we going to work on our attitude? Are we going to let everything that comes down the pike discourage us, create fear in our lives, whether it's terrorism, whether it's finances, whether it's sickness or disease or whatever it might be. I'll tell you what, the temptation is out there for all of us. But they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. 
And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. and now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.